Yeah, I think it was to leave to leave room for the unknown possibilities. Yes. Something like that. Because what's so scary is when you to to change from what you know, even if it's like an uncomfortable something, even if it doesn't feel good, in order to to move into something that you don't know, you just you just have to. You have to walk forward. You have to create space for that. Like you have to be able, yeah, to create space for something to come. That was Cold Chance on this week's guest spotlight of the Share Podcast. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Share Podcast. Today is, is our very first guest spotlight. And for those of you that don't know what that is, in the SRC, the Share Recovery Community, we have an author spotlight or a guest spotlight. And this week, we featured Cold Chance, episode number 47, Dope Sick. And she joins us to bring us up to date on what she's doing two years after our podcast interview. So if you haven't listened to episode number 47 with Cold Chance titled Dope Sick, make sure to check it out because it was at the time one of the most popular episodes for the Share Podcast. So let's dive into Cold Spotlight, but first, a quick message from our sponsors. Are you ready to take control of your business, family, and personal life? Are you ready to get clear, get focused, and get results now? Are you ready to boost your confidence through the roof? Well, it's time to level up and add passion, fulfillment, and purpose back into your life right now. My name is Omar Pinto, and I am a certified NLP life coach specializing on enhancing your business, family, and personal life, as well as a certified peer-to-peer recovery specialist who specializes in addiction recovery. Let me show you how to create balance, harmony, and success into your life daily. Go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. Today's episode of the Share Podcast is brought to you by the Share Recovery Community. The Share Recovery Community is our new online recovery resource that offers online recovery meetings as well as peer-to-peer recovery support and coaching that will enhance your journey in recovery. If you find it difficult to make regular meeting attendance in your area or are unable to find the recovery meetings that fit your needs, then the Share Recovery Community is the perfect place for you. And the best part is you can try out the Share Recovery Community for the introductory rate of only $1 in the first month. And after that, it's only $12 a month. That once again include live online meetings, peer-to-peer support, and recovery coaching. So for more information about this amazing recovery resource, go to www.thesharepodcast.com, go to the top of the navigation bar and click on the button that says Share Recovery Community and join the Share Recovery Community for only $1 today. And if you'd like to contribute to the Share Podcast by putting a dollar in the virtual basket, then go to www.thesharepodcast.com, go to the top right corner of the page and click on the button that says Donate and drop a dollar in the basket today. And if you'd like to access another free resource as powerful or even more powerful than the Share Podcast, then join us in the Share Recovery Network. It is our free 
private Facebook group that is active 24-7 from people all over the world. If you're seeking recovery, then go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in S-H-A-I-R, Recovery Network, and join this free recovery resource today. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's one of the best ways to show your support for the podcast. Now a quick message from Transitions Daily and then on to the show. Would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Then go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. And don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Welcome, everyone, to the special guest spotlight, our very first guest spotlight in the SRC, with one of my favorites guests of all time, Cole Chance. Um, how many, show of hands, how many people have heard Cole's episode, number 47, Dope Sick? So half the group. So Cole's was, oh, here's another one. Hello, Nicole. Hey, sweetheart. Hey, Nicole, have you heard Dope Sick, episode 47? Uh, who is it? Cole Chance. Right here. Hey, I think I did. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, just to give us a brief overview, so now that I've introduced Cole, I'm going to give Cole the floor over here. So, so Cole, you know, quickly introduce yourself to the group um, and just tell us a little bit about uh, your experience, you know, uh, on episode 47. Um, well, hello, everyone. I'm Cole. And yeah, what did we do that? A couple years ago? I think it was a yep. few years ago. Yeah, we were talking two years ago. Yeah. So you want me to tell a little bit, just like a, a recap of this, of the story? <laughs> yeah, as, just as quickly as, as, as you can. Probably that bottom moment that brought you in because that was so impactful. Maybe the one about the trailer park. That, that yeah. was the, the one that hooked me. <laughs> Well, you know, whenever I started, whenever I started um, drinking and using and stuff, I was I was mainly oh, the trailer park one. The trailer park one. <laughs> um, you know, I was I was drinking and everything in big mansions and um, on yachts and all the stuff we were doing. You know, it didn't feel it didn't feel dirty at all. Like you hear about, you know, alcoholics are underneath the bridge or in the trailer parks and you know all of this stuff and towards you know in the very end it's like i didn't notice the whole thing going down but then all of a sudden i looked around and i was like holy shit like i'm in like a, i'm in a trailer right now i'm in a crack house i was at this place where there were it was not good it was it was not good at all and it's like i kind of realized this is where i wasn't gonna go this is like what i wasn't this isn't what i was doing and um i remember looking up i was laying on this bed and there was kind of people everywhere it was this compound with like a whole bunch of different kind of like trailers in it it was really bizarre and um, there were lots of drugs and prostitution going in and out of it and i was laying on this bed and i was looking up and there was like a mirror on the ceiling and there was a young girl that was laying next to me and she was like passed out she had to have been like 15 or 16 maybe 
And uh, I looked up and then I saw myself and then I saw this like young girl, which is about the age that I started. I was like 14 or something. And it was just like, oh my God, like, what is she doing here? What am I doing here? Like, what is, what is happening? And then there's, you know, all the different deals and drugs and everything going around. And it was just really shocking, really shocking to me. And it wasn't that long after that um, I wind up, I wind up having an uh, overdosing and having a stroke. And it's really interesting. This is like the way that the alcoholic's mind works is I was wanting to detox from alcohol and cause I, I would just shake so bad and I wasn't able to, I normally went and got like a Xanax or benzodiazepine, something to, you know, reduce that. And the idea that we had with my friends when I lived in Austin, Texas, I moved to Austin to go to, to rehab, to go to recovery. So the only people I knew in this town were in the recovery community. So whenever I relapsed, the only people I knew who to call were the other people who relapsed. So it was kind of a dangerous situation. So I was with like the worst of the worst. So we had this idea that, you know, if I were to try heroin, then I would, because you, you don't drink when you're on heroin. And I just wanted to quit drinking. Ridiculous, ridiculous. And then that kind of started the very, that was the very end of it. And it was about three, two or three months with that. And I wound up having a stroke in the end and um, called a sober house that I'd been kicked out of um, months before because I'd hid wine bottles all over their house and asked them to come back. And that was the first time that I'd ever really asked to come into rehab or asked to come into a sober house or anything like that. It was normally like put there or like forced there. And they told me, you know, to come on Wednesday and I came on Tuesday night with my bags and I was like, I'll sleep on your couch. And they were just like, okay, come in. And right when I walked through that door, like that threshold, it was like this huge weight kind of came off of me. And that was, I mean, that was really the, that was the end of it. And it's, it's so interesting to me. I was just telling my story uh, on a video the other day, my full story. And it's always just so amazing to me to think like, you know, people watched me self-destruct for like 15 years. Like it was very obvious. But that day, whenever, you know, I kind of came to from having that, to, from overdosing, I was like, I can be high or I can be happy. And those aren't ever going to go together. It's like finally that day that, that clicked for me when it was very, very obvious that they weren't going. You know, my, one of my therapists always told me like, once you're so stubborn, but once you get stubborn in the right direction, it's gonna, you're going to be fine. And that was the day that I was just, I was done. And it's been over ever since. Like, it just kind of faded away. It was quite drastic. I really don't do anything until I, like, burn the house down, it feels like. So that was, yeah, that was kind of the, the gist of it, the end. Wasn't there, because I remember, I think it was one of the nurses or one of the ones in rehab that had said that to you, mm -hmm. they said, do you want to be, do you want to keep using or do you want to be happy? Yeah. Yeah. And I had heard that at a rehab many, uh, a couple of years before, cause I was asking her, you know, I was in and out of rehabs all the time and I didn't really want to be sober. I just wanted to figure out how to do it right. Like my, my goal was never sobriety. But I remember asking her and I was like, how? First, I was like, why? You know, I really thought I wasn't going to have a life. Like, I thought I was going to be like a shell of a person. I, I didn't know what these people did, what I was going to do with my day. Whenever I asked her, like, how did you do it? And she said, yeah, I realized I could be higher. I could be happy. And then that's what came back. That's what came back into my mind then. And the other thing that happened, which I, ha I was wondering about this, is that 
I remember always hearing in the rooms that, you know, one day it's not going to work anymore. And I remember I was thinking like, oh, it'll work. Like I'll drink enough. So it works. You know, like I never understood that. It was just another weird saying that I always heard. But there in the end, you know, after I had, after I had that overdose, I went to the liquor store and I bought a bunch of wine and I was going to just kind of hole up in my room for a few days. And I was just drinking it and it wasn't working. And I don't know if that, really what that means like one day like the actual substance isn't going to work or if it meant like you know your life isn't going to work but I took it to mean that like oh my god it's not working like that's what I took it to mean and I was just like oh this is the end so both of those things happened on the same day the remembering what that lady had said and then realizing like my medicine and poison but my medicine wasn't it wasn't doing anything it wasn't working mm-hmm. and it was then that I called that silver house because I didn't know that was my only that was my only thing I knew how to do to make myself feel better, but totally, yeah. totally. I remember that. All right. So Cole, and, and, and so here's, here's the thing. Um, <coughs> when I thought about the guest spotlight, the first person that I thought about was Cole. And I'll tell you why I have been watching Cole on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube now since our interview. So over two years now, and I've just watched her just continue to reinvent herself and transform and change. And the thing that she's been doing for, I don't know how long now you're going to tell us, but she's living in Bali now. And I have such, you know, an unhealthy jealousy and envy of her life. Okay. That I have to have Cole on as the guest spotlight, because here's the thing. I wanted her to share her rock bottom moment with you guys. And I want you guys to go who didn't listen to episode 47, listen to Cole Chance's episode. It's one of the most popular because it's so gripping. At the end of her story is just death and just misery and, and, and pain um, and, and for years. And now you have someone who, like at the end, surrenders. Just this complete surrender of like, I get it now. I get the whole, it's never going to work again. I get the fact that I can either keep using or I can be happy, but I can't be both. I get this. I've just had a spiritual awakening. And no matter how painful this is, I'm ready to do this. And I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. And now she's living in Bali, like this amazing like lifestyle entrepreneur that is just doing life on Cole's terms because that's what we wanted to do when we were using. I'm doing it my way. I'm not listening to anybody, right? I know what, you know, they're missing out on, the, all this drugs and shit. I figured out the magic formula to happiness. It was cocaine. And it wasn't until I realized that I was joking myself that I could really live the life that I was meant to live, but I had to surrender first. So, so, so Cole, how long have you been living in Bali? Well, I've been coming and going for about four years, but I just, you know, I just actually got here for like a long period of time, um, about two months ago, but normally I come and stay for like three months at a time or something like that, but I'll be here for about nine months. And I I just, I have a, I'm a travel, I can't quit traveling. I love it. But this will be the longest period that I've been in one place for about five years. So I'm making a home base here. So when I travel, then I'll, you know, I'll come back and stuff like that. So super excited about. But Bali is the home base. Bali is my new home base. 
Yeah. Wow, that is just spectacular. So tell us a little bit about your yoga practice and more importantly, how that was a lot of the catalyst to your recovery. Mm-hmm. Well, I took my first yoga class in like treatment center three or something like that. And um, I hadn't taken a yoga class before. And I remember going in, I was in Santa Cruz and it was this beautiful treatment center. There's like the redwoods everywhere. And there we did yoga in this like greenhouse. So it was like all glass, super beautiful. I like the birds were chirping. I remember the room smelled good. Uh, the teacher's voice was amazing. And I was like laying on my yoga mat. Like I could smell myself like alcohol coming out of my pores. I was shaking. Like everything was amazing. And I was like, it was the juxtaposition was ridiculously large. And, you know, I did yoga through that treatment and I remember the lady, I remember the teacher. I wish I could remember her face. I really would like to track her down. But I remember her saying that she was, she had been a heroin addict for like 20 years. And I was like, bullshit. Like there's no way she just had it. She so had it together. She was like glowing. And, um, one thing that I remember from that, from that month is, well, for one, just being connected with my body. You know, I started drinking because I felt so connected. Like as soon as I started drinking, I was like in my body, I was alive. And I mean, we all know that that, you know, doesn't happen anymore. So, but you know, I was in there and just saying like, reach your right arm up and your left leg and you're kind of playing Simon says, just making my brain and my body work together, like starting to, you know, make connections again just that in itself was powerful. But I remember her telling me what, um, saying what namaste meant, which was something that I'd heard before. And the way that she explained it was that, you know, my higher self sees your higher self. And I was like, hold on. Like I have a higher self. Like I did not, did not get that concept. Like I didn't realize that I just wasn't this, I didn't, I wasn't just this like piece of shit that I felt like I was which really helped me going forward because I was always going up against like uh, going up against the God stuff in AA. So with that, I was able to kind of start saying my higher self instead. So it was able to really make me be able to blend a little bit better in that way. And, and I remember thinking, you know, if, and at this time, you know, I did not want to get sober, but um, you know, I actually drank on the plane home um, from rehab but I remember thinking like, if I ever want, if I ever wind up getting sober, but I don't want to, I remember even saying that in, in my thoughts, if I ever get sober, but I don't want to, then I'm going to check out this yoga thing. I'm going to look at this because this is really intriguing. Wow. And it took me, you know, many years later, but I started going, if I had, if I was sober enough to go to a yoga class, then I would go. I was never probably completely sober, but I started popping in here and there. And, um, especially towards the last few years, you could ask me like, how's the drinking going? Or you could say, when's the last time you've been to a yoga class? And it would really gauge, you know, gauge it, gauge it the same way. So every time I would go into a yoga class, you know, my whole life, I didn't know anyone who was sober. It was just a complete party. I bartended, it was complete, you know, all day. I didn't have any like semblance of health or people who were on a different path. So I just was kind of like watching people and it was just a little bit of this inside of like the other world, the strange other world. 
and the pendulum started to, you know, swing a little bit, but every time I would get on my yoga mat, it was like the safe space that felt like this kind of hopeful spot, you know, between these like little four corners of my mat. And, you know, I'd feel so good about myself and I'd, you know, go and celebrate and drink after class or something, but it just started shifting. Like that's what kind of started shifting. And in the end, um, you know, I made it back. It was like, I was safe again. And in the end, I didn't go to class for like the, the last like three months of that really, really bad bender. Once I got into that sober house, I'd signed up for like a 30 day free yoga at this place. And I went in and I got on my mat and I got in child's pose and I like lost it. Like ugly cry tantrum. And I was so scared and hopeful, but really scared because I knew like I couldn't keep going. I couldn't keep going on and off. Like I couldn't keep going on and off because for whatever reason that I couldn't really explain, like this was the only place that I felt in my body and felt safe. So I just stayed on my mat and I just started going just all the time, all the time, all the time. And I wind up taking my um, yoga teacher training there at, at that studio, probably about six months into my sobriety. And I've been teaching ever since. And that's how I have been traveling for the last five years has been teaching yoga. And you know, I do yoga retreats now. I teach at a lot of different treatment centers. I was just in Scotland and I got to go to three rehabs in Scotland and Glasgow, which was really amazing. And um, going to be teaching at one here in Bali. And I'm currently teaching at the prison here in Bali. They have a super notorious prison here. Uh, called Kerbalkin, and I'm going in and teaching uh, the prisoners there weekly as well. And like 80% of the people in there, 80 or 90, are there for drugs, drugs and alcohol. So, wow, Bali has a notorious prison. I had no it's, idea. It's called Kerbalkin, and it's actually one of the most notorious prisons. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the Bali Nine. It was a group what is of. That? It was a group of Australians. They've, there's several books and some documentaries about it. There's a group of Australians that were smuggling heroin into um, Bali, and they got busted. It was a really crazy story kind of all around it. But they, they sent them all to jail, and there's a death sentence here in, um, in Bali for it. So the Australian government was like, we'll give you whatever money. Like, we'll give you all this money. Like, get them out, get them out. And uh, the guys, the main, the, the leaders of the ringleaders of the thing really changed that prison. They're two Australian guys. One started like this huge art project that uh, really helped rehabilitate many, many guys. The other guy was started to become religious and was helping the men in another way. And uh, they killed him a few years ago. Anyway, they, the Australian government, they shot him by firing squad. And my teacher, uh, my yoga teacher, was their yoga teacher. She started the yoga program in there and um, yeah, was there for the execution. She said it was horrible. They're just yeah. trying to make, they were trying to make an example. And uh, she said that the guards, they have everybody, they have like 10 guards that everybody shoots so that nobody knows like who's mm, actually. Yeah. She said that all the guards were crying as they had to do it. Like it was super horrible. But oh um, anyway, God. that's why I'm teaching is at that prison now. <laughs> so that's where you're teaching now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we bring good where there's bad. Right. Right. Yeah. It's really Mel, wild. Mel, have you heard of any of this? I knew all about that one. I think they killed them all, didn't they? 
I don't think that they've, I don't think they've killed them all. They killed the two main guys for sure, but I'm not, I'm not certain. Yeah, I'm they, not they, sure. But I do know of it. And then there was another girl that got done for a whole heap of pot and she got released though and she's back in Australia. But yeah, I think she went to that prison too. Or is it a men's prison? It's a men and women's prison. Yeah, right. I think she was in there too. So yeah, I know all of all about that one. Yeah, it's supposed to hold like four hundred people and they have like fourteen hundred. Yeah, it's and it's filthy oh. and full of drugs and dirty and violent, yeah. Still in Bali. And if anyone's been in Bali, the people are like the smiliest, happiest people. So when I walked in, I expected to walk into like, you know, a dark, dirty prison, which I mean, it is dirty, but you walk in and there's these smiley Balinese prison guards. They're like, oh, hello. Like everyone's, really, <laughs> that's their nature. Like I met the headmaster, like I went to meet the headmaster of the whole prison and she was like sitting cross-legged eating mango and laughing about how she's too fat to do yoga. I was like, this is weird. You know, what's cool is that there was this yoga instructor that had done heroin for 20 years and was one of your first instructors. And you were like, oh my God, how is that even possible? They used to do heroin for 20 years and now here she is glowing and she's a yoga instructor. And now that's you. Yeah. And I've actually went back in, not to that treatment center, but I've went into a couple treatment centers that I was a patient in to teach their students. And it's funny because I get the same thing from them. Like I'll go mm-hmm. in, you know, you kind of qualify yourself. No one listens, listens until you like kind of qualify yourself. And then they're like, mm-hmm. what? You? Like, I don't believe it. I'm like, oh yeah, trust me. Um, <laughs> to go full circle is, uh, yeah, super wild, really wild. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. All right. So I'm going to put Christopher in the hot seat because Christopher just likes to sit in the background and say nothing. So I'm gonna, but I know that Christopher's a big Cole Chance fan. So jump in there, Christopher. I'm, a little, a, star, I'm a little starstruck. Of course. <laughs> um, I, I've seen uh, that your place <clears throat> You're gonna put it up for rent for for a couple of weeks while you're gone, while you travel. Oh, yeah, yeah. You need a vacation? I don't think I'm allowed out of the country though. Don't <laughs> <laughs> let you leave. I don't know. I haven't checked it in lately, but yeah, no, that would that would be my ideal place to go for sure. You know, it's so beautiful here. One reason why I love it here so much. This is one of the first places I came when I started traveling. Is that? You know, I came for a month and nobody ever offered me a drink. Yeah. Like, it's just not part of the cult. Nobody is drinking here. And I know, like, on the coast, there's party towns, but I live in Ubud, which is, like, really healthy um, kind of yoga scene and stuff. And nobody ever offered me a drink. And there's, like, parties every night and dances every night. And I remember when I first got here, I was like, these people are not sober. Like, there's no way they're sober. <laughs> what? And, um, they were. We were like taking shots of activated charcoal and turmeric and like, it was just wild. So this has been such like a, a healing place and Ubud actually means medicine. And uh, for me, this has been, I've been coming back for years and it's just like I can, I don't know. It's amazing. I love it. Always amazing. I enjoy, so, yeah. I enjoy living vicariously through you. We all do. We all enjoy living vicariously through through coal. Well, um, I do. Yeah. 
<laughs> all right. Anybody else want to jump in? This is kind of like a free-for-all too. So feel free to share whatever's going on and then maybe, you know, Cole can give you some feedback as well. Who would like to share? Yeah, too bad I didn't meet you. My worst relapse three weeks ago was in Bali. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was that was uh, the worst of the worst. I'll never going back there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Where were you? I went there for business, and uh, I I was traveling around Asia. I was in uh, different countries, and my last port was Bali, and uh, I landed there, and uh, and I relapsed. That was like, yeah, 27 days ago. And uh, and then I flew to Hong Kong and flew back here to the States. But uh, uh, it it was uh, the worst because no plane wanted me to get into the plane because I was drunk. <laughs> so I was I was stuck there for for two days uh, going to get Katai and then Katai saying, no, not this time. Maybe come tomorrow. Then no, not this time. Maybe come tomorrow. Uh, until the third time that they allowed me to uh, get on the plane. Uh, but I hear that they, they they're they're very nice AA meetings uh, in Bali. I just I didn't go. I was caught by the bar in front of the ocean, and uh, uh. it was not good. Mm -mm. Well, not good. Recovery. There is a big recovery community here. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, we, we had a, I had a friend who relapsed a while back and here you can get, they can like pump you up with IV injection vitamins and like do oxygen oh, <laughs> and all of this, all, there's all of these different things that they can do. Yeah. We just didn't know. I didn't know where you were. <laughs> oh, next time we'll be. <laughs> you don't need it next time. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. How are you doing now? I'm, well, now I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, uh, yes, but the the, uh, the flight from Hong Kong to San Francisco was hell. Uh, oh my gosh! Because it, I flew straight Bali, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, San Francisco. I had this hangover. It was uh, it was awful. I I didn't drink, so I don't know if I did talks on the plane or what. Uh, but uh, uh, but now I'm now I'm fine. I am uh, I'm right now on uh, what what the Americans call disability leave uh, for a few weeks, and uh, I'm I'm going during the day to an IOP, which is okay. which is it's, it's 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 pretty good. I I at the beginning I didn't know if I was going to like it or not, uh, but I liked it and actually. Yesterday, it was very interesting because we had a uh, family uh, meeting, which I went with my wife, and everybody went with their wives or, or what, whatever. And it's, it's, uh, it's not that I have anything against Alanon, but it was very different than Alanon uh, uh, in, in a way of how, how uh, tough they were. So it, it was a very nice experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to IOP, I'm going to AA meetings now every day. I'm, I'm doing 90-90 again and, uh, and uh, you know, just going to the gym and 
uh, waiting for the time to pass so I can go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm okay. So, yeah, next time if I go to Bali, I'll look for you so you can teach you. me some yoga. <laughs> I will show you a different experience, I promise. <laughs> Dude, Dude I, am, I am dying to go to Bali. Yeah, we now have friends. See, we have a friend in Bali. You see, (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing to fear, but that's a great topic too, as far as the traveling goes. Because Cole is just you do a ton of traveling. Yeah. So, how do you navigate through all the traveling and all the stress of traveling? Because you've been doing it for for a few years now, quite a few years. So how was it in the beginning when you traveled and as far as, you know, protecting your sobriety? Well, it was kind of interesting. I went quite soon. I left. Um, I had this mantra when I was getting sober. All I wanted to do since I was young was travel. And I never traveled internationally until I got sober. Thank God. Cause I would have been in, I don't know. I'd still be like chained up somewhere. I would have, it would have been. So whenever I was getting sober, I kept saying, I have to find a sustainable way to travel. I have to find a sustainable way to travel. Like that was my mantra. And very quickly, I had all these opportunities come up. So I was going to be, I was a massage therapist already. So I was going to be working on this, um, this giant sales ship um, doing massage. And then I was also going to go, t- go to Bali to teach on this massage training. But it was only probably like, I don't know, seven or eight months of me being sober. So everyone was like, no, like, don't do it. And cause this was like the perfect opportunity for me. Like I, I just the way that the way that I was, if I ever had just a moment to myself, you know, I just sneak off and this was the perfect opportunity. This ship that was going to be offline. No one could call me for like two weeks. So like my parents were mortified, but you know, I'm there and I'm, we're in the middle of the Mediterranean on this like giant sail ship and everybody around me was drinking, but I was like so wide eyed and bushy tailed about like where I am that I really realized that I couldn't, again, I couldn't have both of it. Like if I wanted, like I could drink or I could like have the world, like that was the trade off and it didn't, um, I really wasn't triggered, but it did cross my mind that this would be the perfect time And, you know, they actually had an AA meeting on the boat. So I went to a couple of those and um, I don't know. It was just, it, I I don't know why that it kind of faded away. Like I remember people telling me that one day you won't think about it. And I was like, bullshit. This is all I think about. And I really stopped thinking about it. I think you know, just so resonate, resonating with me and sunken so deep that I can't have both. And this is what I always wanted was the travel. So I really haven't had that many um, times where I was incredibly tempted, even though I travel a lot by myself. And there's many times when I, yeah, I mean, that I could have, and the travel is stressful. And then often, like if I'm in Europe and places like that, like they don't want they don't understand if I don't drink wine. So sometimes I go back and forth with the waiter, like quite a bit, like they kind of offended that I don't want to at least taste the wine, you know? So sometimes just having to stay like, no, I can't. But up until this point, I haven't had um, a serious issue with it. I notice it sometimes like, Oh, I could sometimes that'll pop through my head. I could, but I guess I just choose not to. 
What's I the mantra you say again? Which one? The one about the traveling. Oh, I have to find a sustainable way to travel. I have to find a sustainable way to travel because I've always wanted to travel and I just, I didn't want to go on trips. Like I wanted to like travel all the time. So now I just like make jobs for myself. Like I find a country that I love or like I, I get, I start like getting a crush on a country. Like uh, it was Morocco last year. I'm like, Oh, I want to go to Morocco. I want to go to Morocco. So I'll just open up a yoga retreat there and then I'll bring people with me. It's like, I just make myself a job in Morocco and, and I'm doing that in Guatemala now. And yeah, I don't know how it happened, <laughs> but it's amazing. Well, I think it has something to do with the power of intentions and yeah. so whatever you put out into the universe becomes reality, becomes truth. For example, if I keep saying to myself, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop drinking, well, you're yeah. not going to stop drinking. I'm putting out into the universe I'm, my intention. My intention is I can't stop drinking. And I have to find a sustainable way to travel. And that's what I just kept putting out into the universe until I figured out how to make that happen or not so much how I figured it out or how the universe would kind of allow that to unfold naturally. Thus, this is, this is how you live. And I love the way, you know, I can't have both. There's a great realization that comes from a surrender, a true surrender where you realize that it's just never going to work again. I'm, I'm never going to get high again. I'm never going to get buzzed again. It's, it's either paranoia, blackout, overdose, or, or nothing. I can't, there is no more, I want to travel and drink. I want to, you know, live a productive life and still party every once in a while. That wonderful epiphany. And I just remember I used to use the example of kind of like where you got at, where I got further enough, further, far enough along in my recovery and in my sobriety where I said, well, you know what? Life is so good. It's almost, and I'm not religious, but I kind of picked the whole Adam and Eve thing, right? The whole Adam and Eve thing was like, I could live in paradise. The only thing I have to do is not eat from this tree. If I just stay away from the tree of crack cocaine, Mary Jane, alcohol, Oxycontin. If I stay away from that tree, then I can have all this other amazing, beautiful stuff and live in paradise. And my life has just been amazing. But that's, that was kind of like my little metaphor where I was like, all I have to do is stay away from this tree and my life can be beyond my wildest dreams. Kind of like you're, I can't have it both, right? Right, totally. And I think it's so good to like have it just, you know, to simplify it into like some type of visual analogy or something mm -hmm. as well. Like, yeah, it's just potent and to remember and just to continue to come back to that. But yeah, it's the same. It's like I can have the bottle or I can have the entire world yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. like it was for me. It's like, what am I choosing? And not until I started to travel for me, I think that was such a big thing for me was to actually be able to see that I could have that. Like it was just in my head forever, like that I wanted to, I wanted to. But once I started to travel, I was like, oh my gosh, there is actually a world out here. Um, yeah, so that was really important to, for my recovery. And I think, you know, when we're in our addiction, we just spend, you know, 
a thousand percent of our energy on the addiction. It's like where we're going to get it, how we're not going to smell like it, um, how we're going to, whatever it is, it's completely hyper-focused. So once you shift that energy, it's like it has to go somewhere. But I think it is because you're too smart. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I thought that I had it both. And I had it both for a long, long, long time. Uh, 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 up until I reach certain age, but for many, you know, I I spent seventy percent of my time traveling all over the world. Uh, so for many years, I had it both. Uh, mm-hmm. I was able to function with both, but then you get to a point in which, at least for me it was impossible to continue with both. It's, it's as you say, it's one or, or the other because you cannot continue with both, at least me. Uh, it, was in, it was impossible. I mean, it, it was, I mean, how many times you, you, you get drunk to Sydney and then go to work the next day? I mean, you can do it when you're 30, uh, maybe 40, but then you reach 50 and, you know, let me tell you, you get drunk to Sydney at 50 and then you, you want to be in bed for a week before you go to work. Uh, so, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's, you're smart because you're a young lady. So, and, and you decided that you had that vision now that you're young. So that's, that's a big plus for you, uh, a, a super advantage for you uh, because I'll see you, you know, different than me, you can avoid a lot of stuff that I had to go through uh, uh, before I realized, you know, this is it. It's either recovery or non-recovery. And that's it. I need to, cho- to, to choose. And this is what I choose. And uh, so it's, uh, and, 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 and then now I need to go to, to certain tricks because, you know, what's the, the first thing you get offered when you get on, on a plane? Okay, you want a mimosa, uh, orange juice or water or champagne with orange juice and, and uh, oh, eh, or, or maybe if you're really hangover, you want a Bloody Mary before, before we take off? And yeah, yeah, give me one Bloody Mary. And when we are up there, they're just vodka tonic. And and uh, and then you know and then that's it. You're you're in paradise. You you're not gonna get a DUI. You're staying there. Somebody's bringing you more wine, more wine, more wine, more vodka, more whiskey, more whatever. Uh, you know the the flight is 12, 14 hours. Oh my gosh! So you can drink, sleep, watch a movie, wake up with a hangover, with a hangover. Can I have another Bloody Mary, please? What time is it? Oh, okay. Here in Australia, it's 7 in the morning. In LA, it's 7 p.m. Okay, it's 7 p.m. So let me have a look at that. It's 7 p.m. And, and, and then you, you end up having breakfast with a vodka tonic. They say, shit, I mean, this is, this is really, really way above me. Uh, uh, and then you, you, you get into the hotel, and what do you have in the hotel? Of course, there's always a mini bar, you know, and there's a mini bar, and there is, you know, that famous 
bar in the second floor of the hotel. In every hotel, you go to the second floor or to the mezzanine, and there's a bar. And then you go there, there's a big TV, you sit there, you're alone, you ask for a burger or whatever, and then they give you a drink. And, and so, so it's, it's, you know, what, what you did, you need to be extremely proud because at, at your very young age, you made the correct decision. And I can tell you that after many, many, many years of battling against this disease during travel. So good. See you in Bali soon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel fortunate. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Really, really, really challenging for me. I can, I can see how I could just go right into it. Like it would be so easy and I would yeah. be the exact same way. I would be the exact yeah. same. Uh, the good news for me when I travel is I've, I typically travel through spirit. They don't offer me shit. You know, you know, <laughs> I'm not in first class. I'm not in first class. Yeah, recovering yeah. alcoholics only on low cost airlines. Yeah, <laughs> if you go on low cost airlines, they don't offer you shit, man. That's hilarious. Oh. That should be, yeah, that should be something that we. Yeah, use. yeah, that's okay. If you want to travel, travel coach. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, they don't offer you anything. <laughs> <laughs> that is the plus. Hey, so I'm curious, Cole, and I don't know if it's a, a, a the the when we did our interview, you had your your Burmese mountain dog next to you, and where's your dog? She passed away last summer. Oh, see, I I I knew I didn't want to ask that question. No, no, it's fine. She got um. The the really the breed is it's really sad when I got her I didn't realize but they only live to be six to eight like it's mm. crazy they yeah. have cancer and so just out of nowhere she seemed like a really young dog she was seven and they got can she got cancer when we found out there was cancer the tumor had already burst and so it's horrible oh, I had yeah. her I had her um, ashes my friend makes jewelry and I had her ashes made into this beautiful beautiful pendant. Oh, actually, I wear that. I wear that here. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Sad. I love her. I love that little girl. Well, you know, as someone who has, you know, obsession with my dog, uh, you know, I totally get it. It's just yeah. like they're 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 like children. They're just there are there are babies. And, you know, thinking about not having them is horrifying. Horrifying. So yeah, I, I wanted to ask just because I remember even in the even in the interview, I could hear him breathing <laughs> in in the, in the background when we did the interview, uh, which was so cool. I, I think um, I want to foster a dog here in Bali. So they have dogs everywhere that need homes. The shelters are like over full with them. So I think I want to foster one here. I wouldn't be able to keep it all the time, but um, just I would just spoil one to death. Um, while I'm here. So I'm thinking about doing that. I think that's a great idea. So, so tell us a little bit about the, the, the prisons uh, or the service work that you do in the prison teaching yoga. Um, how, how long have you been doing that? And, and, you know, what's that experience been like? 
Well, you know, I started about a month ago. So my teacher was the one who began the program and she asked me to continue it. You know, whenever I first moved here, I actually, I was in a, trying to get out of a relationship that has been, was really chaotic. So I'm really seeing how my addiction has just has mm-hmm. shifted into other things. You know, I really thought I was like done with this stuff, but I haven't been in relationship until this past year. So I've seen how like, oh my God, it's the exact same thing. It wasn't the alcohol, it was me. Oh no. But anyway, <laughs> so I've been dealing with that. But I had told my teacher, I was like, I've got to get out of my head. I'm like, I need some help. I'm getting ready to move to Bali where my partner was. I was like moving here to be with him. And she was like, well, you need to go teach in the prison. That'll get you the fuck right out of your head. <laughs> and I was like, perfect. So it was actually her idea because I told her, yeah, I was just having anxiety and I, I couldn't quit thinking. So she was like, start, go to the prison, start teaching at the prison. So I started, I've been going um, up there once a week and um, it's, it's really amazing. And like I mentioned, whenever I walked in, it's like this imposing place that you know I've heard I've heard so much about and uh but really when you walk in the the guards are all they're all smiling and I mean it feels like you're just in Bali the girls are all I'm teaching the females right now the men are in trouble so they can't have yoga right now there was some raid over there and they're they're in trouble but um the females are they're incredible they're it's really amazing one it makes me think sometimes one thing that I've heard about Indonesians especially Balinese is that they smile, they smile even when they're uncomfortable. So I think that it's something that if I was like Balinese, you might be able to differentiate between these smiles. Cause really when I go, everyone seems pretty happy, <laughs> but I've heard that about the culture because really, you know, there's little holes in the, there's little holes in the, only some people can come out for yoga, mm-hmm. like certain people get to come out for yoga, but then there's, you know, all of these cells and there's just these little holes with bars on them. And everyone's smiling through the bars, you know, it's, it's bizarre. It's kind of bizarre, but they're all smiling and they're like, I like your hair or, you know, <laughs> say different things. But I'm like, this is wild. And there's, you know, I've seen inside some of the cells and they're just mats. They're just mats on the floor that they sleep on. And there's like 30 girls in a room or something, but they're smiling. It's, it's kind of bizarre. So I don't really know what, um, I don't know. Well, I, don't know. I, I would assume I would assume that they don't get a lot of entertainment in there. So, I mean, you're teaching a yoga class and they get to experience something, yeah. you know what I mean? Different from the same old, you know, 30 people in a room with a little mat right. and the kind of just, I guess, desperation that you have to feel in a place that's so horrific, so, so horrible. So you have to kind of find beauty kind of like uh what's what's that book the one about the concentration camps oh my god i I can't remember but it was all about perspective and mindset and about what you choose to focus your attention on and you know they they weren't going to rob they weren't going to rob him of his of his um Mm. his hope of his hope gosh what is the name of that book? I know what one you're talking about. And now my brain is just being <laughs> blank on the name. But I know exactly what you're talking about. I can almost think of the guy's name. Um, We're all sitting here thinking about the book and I can't remember the name of it. But, but the idea was that inside the concentration camp, they took everything from him. His wife, his family. 
but they'd taken everything from him, but the only thing they didn't take away from him was his hope. Like he would just, he was convinced that he was going to have hope um, and he was going to have a positive mindset and he wasn't going to allow them to take um, his, his dignity away from him in that, in that sense. So um, anyway, you know, that's, that's the, I can't remember. It'll probably come to my head as soon as we're done with this, with this call. So, we're getting close to the hour. So does anyone else have any questions for Cole about yoga, about her early recovery, about Bali, about traveling? You know, we've covered so many different topics. Uh, I have a question because I don't even know how to question my question, but like how to word it. Um, it's when I listen to the podcast and I hear all these success stories and like major life changes. Now there's been successes in my life. Like I'm definitely in a better place than I was then, but um, it seems like just these magical things start happening <laughs> to the people that I hear on the podcast. And I'm like, I'm just a normal person working like a normal job and no magical thing has happened to me. So then I get a little frustrated because I'm like, Oh, what, what's wrong with me? What are like, and I'm like, how, how are you getting these opportunities? How did this, how, how does this come to be for all of these people? Because I'm just a normal person and something is spectacular happening to them. And then I feel like a loser and then I have to refocus like, wait, no, my life is definitely better than what it was. So I know I have successes, but then I start comparing. Yeah. So I don't understand what, what are they doing? What are you, what did you do? What did they do? What's going on that I'm missing out? <laughs> I'm a normal person for sure. I don't really know. I think maybe something like what Omar mentioned about, you know, really having intention. I, I definitely knew what I wanted. I definitely knew that I wanted to travel. Like, I think I had something in my sights of like, mm-hmm. this is definitely what I wanted and was focusing on that. And I'm quite stubborn. And I don't know if you heard me say that, like my therapist used to always say, like, if you could just be stubborn in a different way, like not stubborn to like sabotage yourself and stubborn to like do something different. It's kind of like figuring, just figuring out what it is that I, what I, what I wanted and moving in that direction and kind of planting seeds for that every day. And I think that, I don't know if this is your case, but I know that some people that I talk to, they're not quite, they're not quite um, sure what it is that they're wanting. And Elizabeth Gilbert, I don't know if you know who that is. She wrote like Eat, Love, Pray. She's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. She does lots of Ted talks and stuff. And she was saying one time that she used to always say, well, follow your passion, follow your passion. And somebody wrote her and was like, it pisses me off when people say, follow your passion. Cause some people don't know what it is. Yeah. Like some people, they're not quite sure what it is that they want to do. And she really thought about that for a while. And she says that she never says that anymore, that she's like, follow your curiosity, like figure it out. What is you're curious about? And then go down that path. And maybe that leads to a passion or maybe you are curious the rest of your life in lots of different ways. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent now. But I think it's more so about what it is that you're wanting your, your life to look like, you know. But, and not focusing on what other people's looks like, but on your <laughs> successes. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we 
focus on, like Omar said, like, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. That perpetuates that cycle rather than like, oh, I want to open up this business or I want to start doing this or I want to, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And I think that, yeah, maybe one my problem is too, is I have so many things that I have like this passion and desire to like, oh, I want to, like, I want to be that in my life or I want to be that. And then I'm like, I can't figure out, okay, what do I want to be when I grow up kind of thing? And then, okay, how do I get there? Which one am I going to follow? And so I know that that is part of the problem, but, um, and then I start stressing because of my age, I'm 40 and I'm like, I should have figured this out 20 years ago, but I was having fun. And so, yeah, I just, it gets frustrating for me, but like I said, I keep my, you know, my focus on, well, I am doing good. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I did start back to school. I started taking some classes. So I just thought that's where I'm going to start and wherever it leads, then I guess that's where I'll go. But I didn't know, like, what is this magical thing that happens? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <with people? laughs> no magic pill or no, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there is, there is no magic pill. And you know what drives me crazy about Renee? That Renee always asks the best question right as we're ending oh. the, the call. Like last week, last week we did the same thing. We went in half an hour afterwards, you know, because we we went deep. But the the truth of the matter is is that it's exactly what Cole's saying, right? We're just we're just regular people, but we just made a decision on what we wanted. That's all. Once we just decided, I'm going to move in this direction. Now, Cole, how many times have you shifted from, I know I'm going to do this and then go, oh, no, I'm going to shift this way and go this way. Oh, I'm going to shift and go that way. How many times? Lots of times. Right. Right. So you, here's the thing. The intention is I'm going to make an attempt at this, whatever it is. Once I put out into the universe that I have intention to move, to get flow, to get the flow going, to move, to get into action, then I might decide, oh, I don't like this, but another opportunity presents itself. And if I hadn't started the momentum and moving in one direction, I would have never stumbled across an opportunity. And these opportunities present themselves because we're out there, because we're, we're constantly just pushing forward, setting an intention, being intentional about what we're doing, being positive, and focusing on what we want instead of what we don't want. When you focus on what you don't want, that's what you get. When you yeah. focus on what you want, you'll eventually get it. One's just faster than the other. Because when you focus on what you don't want, you're really already there. Yeah. So you just keep getting more of that. But when you focus on what you do want, that takes a little bit of work. That One thing sense. that I heard that I thought was interesting that was, you know, not to focus so much on a specific thing, like, a, like an outward thing, but a feeling. Like I want to feel free or I want to feel yes. abundant because yes. then that allows, it might come up in many different ways or it might not look exactly the way that you imagined it, but it's like, what feeling are you wanting to, um, to create? Because then that leaves lots of options for like what, how the universe will like bring that to you. Okay. That's magnificent because everything that we do, including getting high is about an emotional state. 
every time I drink, I'm trying to recapture an emotional state, a feeling, or a series of feelings. So whenever I'm doing something or i wanting something, how is that going to make me feel? And how do I want to feel? And that's a great place to start. Another see, great suggestions. Yeah, I like that because um, I I get very caught up in that. Like definitely of the feeling. Like, and then when I can't get that feeling of um, like this is what I wanted or like a good feeling, then I start feeling trapped, and I'm like a bird trapped in a cage or something, and. Like, oh, I can't figure out which way to go, what to do. And then so I just shut down. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get there. So I'm just doing nothing. And, um, you know, that lasts for like a day or two. And then it's like, okay, pick myself back up. Let's get going again and move forward. And so, but that is a constant cycle in my life. Um, Yeah, I got to. Well, that's why I signed up for classes because I got to, I just have to, I don't know, start somewhere. So I'm going to start there and wherever it leads, then it leads. And, um, I figured, you know, I'm open to, if I change my major, you know, I told them what a specific major is of something that I want to do. But for me, I don't want to feel like, well, this is the it because what if I just decide I want to go in a different direction? I'm leaving it open but I just started. So, yeah. well, that's exciting. Lots of possibilities. Then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's how we're going to close. Number one, Victor Frankel, a man search for meaning. Yes. That was yes. the book. Yes. yes. Okay. Number one, number two, Cole, what was the, when I, when I asked you in our interview, if you had what, you know, uh, if you had only one suggestion for our newcomers, uh, what would it be? Do you remember what that suggestion was? Because I remember it falls in line with what you were just telling Renee. Yeah, I think it was to leave to leave room for the unknown possibilities, yes. something like that. Because what's so scary is when you to to change from what you know, even if it's like an uncomfortable something, even if it doesn't feel good, in order to to move into something that you don't know, you just you just have to. You have to walk forward. You have to create space for that. Like you have to be able, yeah, to create space for something to come. Be uncomfortable with the unknown. Pema Chodron, if you've ever read Pema Chodron, she's incredible. There's a book, all of her books are amazing, but one of them is called When Things Fall Apart. But her main message is like to get okay with like the unshakiness, with the edginess of like not knowing what's going to happen and to just to feel comfort in that because I think especially for alcoholics and addicts, it's like, we don't like to feel discomfort. I mean, really nobody does, but we really don't. So it's learning to kind of create relationship with that space because in that space is where possibility can, where other things can come. So it's like important to find, to learn to be in the transition, but she's amazing. She's a sage. Love it. All right. So Cole, thank you so much for joining us today. Totally. Thank you. Thank you. This was so awesome. All right, guys. Everybody, namaste to Cole.
Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.